Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, I got to tell you, uh, just right off the top here, this has been one heck of a week. And, you know, it seems like every single, th- every single time that there's a, uh, you know, an election, that all of the news sort of ramps up around not just the election, but a thousand other things, because there's a thousand things going on right now, if not more than that. Uh, there, there's no real way I can introduce every single thing here that I'm going to get to because I'm going to get to a lot in this episode. But of course, there's going to be a lot of uh, education-related things too, and some geopolitical stuff as well. But I wanted to start off by by saying this. First of all, I don't think I do this enough, and I and I I need to. Uh, I just want to thank the people who listen to this and listen to this show. Thank you. I, I don't know how else to put it. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for the emails. Like I said, I, I receive the emails. I, I respond to all of the emails. I got some nice emails from some listeners this past week. You know who you are. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, w- with that said, I also had a couple of other good conversations and an update that I wanted to provide everybody from a previous guest. First of all, I had a I have a a listener of the podcast, and again, they know who they are, but they got me in contact with Kevin Sorbo's wife, Sam Sorbo, of Hercules fame, so to speak. Um, they seem like very solid people to me. And again, I don't know everything about them, all of the ins and outs and whatever else, but she was kind enough to call me. And we had a, conver- a a great conversation, and she's very, very bright. And she's a no-nonsense individual, which is great. Very knowledgeable about the state of education, and we're on the same wavelength regarding the complete collapse of American education. She fully knows that um, that it's not going to last, that it can't last. It was designed to fail, and that it itself has been the failed experiment. And so she is a homeschool advocate, 100%. She's yelling as much as she can to get people out of the system. And she's looking for other solutions and and other avenues and potentially other projects and things of that nature. But we had a nice conversation. And um, hopefully we stay in touch and just provide some updates every now and again. To be honest and to sort of answer a question that she had, I really think that we need to do whatever we can, and I, I, I'll be completely honest. I'm not a business-minded person in the sense that I, I don't know off the top of my head how to start one of these, even though that I've been in the education business, uh, again, most of my life so to speak, either from as a student or observational standpoint and then a paid employee. But I think that creating our own homeschooling curriculums is the way forward. The unfortunate part is that there still exists this giant concept of accreditation and that these homeschools, if they are to be accredited, uh, you know, they almost have to exist in that format. That's a difficult thing to accomplish. It can be anyway. It's not impossible, of course. There are lots of 
homeschool programs out there that are accredited. But accomplishing that as uh, as hopefully more homeschool programs pop up, I think is the way forward. And um, I would certainly be interested in in helping anybody, either from a philosophical standpoint or a curriculum standpoint, uh, you know, regarding any of that. But I think that ultimately that's it. I still think that there is and will always be a need to shout from the mountaintops that people need to homeschool, but we have to provide them a place to go. Which and and again, sort of a step by step. Hey, look, it's not it's not as big a deal as you might think. Kind of approach, which is why I again have pointed people to CalvertEducation.com and Abeka.com. I'm not paid spokespeople for for those organizations, and I'm not going to claim that every single thing that is taught within those accredited uh, you know online homeschooling programs is a hundred percent accurate. I'm almost certain it's not, but it is a safer alternative, is it not, than what's going on right now? And again, you've heard me say that the candle's burning at both ends regarding teacher educators, and the entire business is collapsing, and I'm going to continue to provide evidence of that, not just in future episodes, but in this episode too. So that leads me to this then, which is an update from a previous guest that that I had on, and you will recognize her. Kimberly Rikes. I had a Zoom call with Kimberly Rikes just the other day, and we had an excellent conversation with her and one of her friends slash colleagues, and they also apparently have a podcast as well. I was, we basically set up the Zoom meeting after the conversation that we had where she was on my show. And she was interested in talking about how to go after teacher certification and essentially just attack the certification that these individuals hold because once you cut their feet out from underneath them regarding their certification and violating their certifications, then they can't teach anymore or they have sanctions placed or restrictions placed on on their certification, which creates a problem for them. And we need to create a problem for them. In particular, again, if they've broken the law or they have uh, violated their own contracts or their own codes of conduct, et cetera, et cetera. So we had a great Zoom call. And I can tell you this that during the Zoom call, in particular toward the end, the subject of homeschooling came up. And I told Kimberly what. A lot of the listeners of my podcast had said and responded because I knew that everybody who listens to this knows my stance on sending your children to an abusive environment. That that environment is not going to get better and they aren't necessarily going to get better because you shout from the mountaintops that they are abusive. That your home is your castle and that protecting your children from abusive people is your number one responsibility, I think. Again, I'm talking as a person who's not married and doesn't have children. So that's my feeling about it anyway. And my knowledge on the subject would lead me in that direction. I shared a lot of this with her. Again, unsolicited. I just said, here's what my listeners said. They, they, they were shocked that, 
that you were sending them, your children, into an abusive environment that was clearly abusing them. And uh, she completely understood. And long story short, she has decided to homeschool her younger children. She actually said during our call that she was going to have a conversation with her husband about it and that they were completely all for it and that her and her friend were actually talking about it before our Zoom call. And we must have talked for at least an hour and a half. It was about an hour and a half. And um, their heart is in the right place. But like a lot of people, they too were struggling with how do we go about it? Is, is there a particular, you know, is there a process we have to follow? Are, are there specific things that we need to do? And I just reassured her that a lot of it was imaginary in their own mind. I would even go so far as to say that the doubt that gets placed in a person's mind is the devil himself. And that he is there planting seeds of doubt and worry and discomfort and uncertainty because the devil knows that you are moving away from his domain and moving your your family and your children and yourself into a healthier place. The devil doesn't want that. So the devil plants seeds of doubt and frustration and anxiety and a thousand other things. But I suggested a number of things. I said, first of all, there's this giant illusion again that a homeschooling family involves mom and or dad sitting at a kitchen table doing all of the instructing for seven hours a day with their children. That's not true. That isn't the way that it works. Again, ultimately, the idea is that the child teaches themselves and learns for themselves on a constant basis without saying to themselves, like I said in the last episode, and like I read from that post from a listener in the last episode, that you don't have to confine yourself to all of the restrictions that a K-12 school has within your own home. You can do what you like. And I pointed her again in, in the direction of Abeka.com and Abeka's YouTube channel because they have a YouTube channel. I said, watch the videos. I said, and then once you watch the videos, you'll get more comfortable. And then give them a call. Tell them what you want to do. I said, these people are in the business of reassuring parents that everything is going to be all right. They know that a lot of people are calling them because they're frustrated and they're trepidatious about what to do next and how to do it because they've never done it before. And I also reassured Kimberly again that there is no better teacher than the parent. Other than God, of course, but the parent is the best teacher that the child will ever have, one way or another, for good or bad. Yes, there are excellent teachers out there. We all know that. But at the end of the day, if the system is collapsing, you need to pull your children out. And even as Sam Sorbo said, and she's right, she said, there are a lot of parents standing outside of this building. The building is on fire. And what the parents are doing is trying to throw buckets of water on top of the building instead of running in and grabbing their children and pulling them out permanently. 
She's 100% correct on that. So I just wanted to provide a lot of that sort of communication update. That's happened. That's a good thing. I, 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 again, I, I told Kimberly, take your energy that you were putting in trying to get even or sue or whatever toward these individuals in this school district and just move it in the other direction toward your children and educating them and living a happier life with that stress-free environment that, that can and does exist. Um, she even said, and she didn't bring this up in the episode, but she said that the school district offered her $5,000 to shut her mouth about the abuse of her daughter, and then they offered her $150,000 to shut her mouth, and Kimberly said no on both of those offers. She still has a court date set up for February, and she wants a guilty, she wants a guilty plea out of these people. She wants them up against a wall, and that's awesome. But as I, as I told her, while you're doing that, pull them out. Lead by example, because then more and more parents will come to you, and they will say, so you pulled them out. And she'll say, yeah. And then they'll say, well, what are you doing? And she'll say, well, we're using a Becca.com, or we're using this, or we're using that. We're bringing in lots of other things, and we're having a great time. And they're learning a ton of stuff, and they love to learn. And the looks on these people's faces, again, is going to be as if they have smelled something terrible. It's going to be total bewilderment. Their eyes will be huge. Their lips will start to pucker a little bit. Well, what do you mean? Well, well what? There, there's a life out there outside of K-12 education? That's impossible. And then she will teach them. And so on, and so on, and so on. You've heard the guests on this show. The parents, again, all of them. You've, you've, you've heard the ones that homeschool say it's the greatest thing that we've ever done. The greatest thing we've ever done for our child, outside of, of course, giving it life and feeding it and, you know, <laughs> loving it and so on and so forth. But yeah, there you go. So I don't know. I just wanted to provide that communication update. That's an excellent thing. I had a good feeling about it. I knew that there was, I, I felt like there was some uneasiness about it, but uh, she needed to be reassured in a positive direction and then again given some information because there are endless parents out there that just don't know. They don't know that they can just pull their children out of school and that they won't get arrested and, you know, that there are homeschooling programs out there that have YouTube channels to, again, warm people up to the idea of what they're offering. So there you have it. Okay. That's that. Uh, moving on here. I'm going to link this in the description below because, ladies and gentlemen, you have got to see this. It's approximately nine minutes long, and I'm... I've got some serious questions about this, but I have a giant smile on my face because this is incredible. I don't know if anybody's been paying attention to the Alex Jones defamation suit from Sandy Hook parents, allegedly, who, uh, who are claiming that they lost money because Alex Jones was exercising his First Amendment right. 
and having guests on that were questioning the whole thing because it was in fact a hoax and no one died. Certainly not children. Um, in this clip I'm going to link in the description below is a parent, Scarlet something, if memory serves. Either way, she's lying. And I can't play the audio because it won't do it justice. You have to see this woman's face. She is practically laughing out loud. She's pra she, she can't keep the smile off of her face when she's talking about her dead child. Think about that for a minute. If your child was dead, would you be smiling in a courtroom on the stand under oath? Not to mention, the entire court and court proceeding, to me, seems fake because there's so many things going on that are um, beyond not just unethical, but again, I'm not a lawyer. I like to think I am sometimes, but it seems out of place. Let me give you one small example. If anybody watched five minutes of that ridiculous uh, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard defamation suit, I don't recall, although I didn't watch hardly any of it, I don't recall Amber Heard or even Johnny Depp on the stand under oath directly replying to or talking to the other person. Amber Heard wasn't directly talking to Johnny Depp, looking at him and saying, why would you do this? And screaming at him and whatever else. I don't think a judge would allow that to happen because I don't think that's allowed to happen. Not so in the old Alex Jones thing. In this case, with this clip you're going to see, this woman is directly addressing Alex Jones and is allowed to do so. Seems like that would be something you would object to. Objection, Your Honor. Um, the witness is not allowed to, you know, directly address the, the, the person who's being accused of, of said crime. Um, it seems odd. And I'm not really going to analyze it much beyond that, nor break it down, because I think there's more going on here than even I can tackle. All I can tell you is, is that the woman is lying because no one died. And you don't have to believe me. All you have to do is watch her testimony. Again, if you were really mad at Alex Jones because your kid was really dead and, and someone was telling people that your alleged kid isn't really dead, would you be smiling? and acting in such a poor way? Or would you be upset with authenticity in your voice? Again, she's wearing a little necklace with a little picture of the kid uh, on the necklace. It's absurd. Her acting skills, I mean, where do they find these people? Her acting skills are, are subpar. I feel like I could do a better acting job, and there's no way I would ever be an actor nor try. But these people are getting paid by someone, probably taxpayers, 
to perpetuate this giant lie, certainly government. Because again, if, if this is real, if the trial is real, they want to send a message to everybody that we can't talk about this or else we'll get sued into oblivion. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm going to keep talking about it. Um, that's just the way that it is because fraudsters have to be highlighted and hoaxers have to be brought into the light. And that's, that's the way it's going to be. So, boom, bam. All right, moving on. Professional development. I want to spend a few minutes on this, and I have some articles to read that sort of uh, perpetuate this insanity. Here we are now at the beginning of August, first week of August. It is the annual, ladies and gentlemen, beginning and slow rollout of the professional development weeks that exist among K-12 educators and even those in higher education. In higher education, sometimes they call them retreats, you know, like a cult, because cults have retreats, and so do, of course, institutions of higher education. I'm sure there's K-12 districts across the nation that also call them professional development retreats. I can't tell you how intellectually insulting these professional development retreats or weeks were for me when I was a K-12 educator. It is the epitome of intellectual insulting behavior. Um, the games that get played and the way that people are talked down to and the unnecessary competition that takes place and the comparisons from school building to school building and district to district and we did better on the state standardized tests than you did and we're, we're a better school than our neighboring school and blah blah blah. All of it is so unnecessary it's ridiculous. Not to mention, again, the brain-dead school teachers that do exist inside of a lot of these buildings that are not organized and love these professional development weeks. And there are lots of them that just love it. They look forward to it, these people. They look forward to it. Oh, this is just so much fun. We just get to get together and bond and play games, and isn't it so much fun? It's just like middle school and high school in the cafeteria. Who are you going to sit with? Are you going to sit with your friends? Or are you going to be randomly placed with a bunch of randos that you don't like, that you're forced to you know, make a living under, under the same roof? I mean, and just listening to their mouths. I mean, my God, the, the things that they say. Ladies and gentlemen, during one particular activity when I taught, and this could have been my last year within this middle school, during the professional development week, they quite literally had us um, putting a, and I didn't do it. Mark my words, I didn't play the game. They had people, they had teachers lining up playing carnival kinds of games because they thought these were team-building exercises. The effort that it took to put people in a room to actually decide this was a good idea should tell you the mind frame of these individuals who run this entire apparatus called American Education. They had us put a spoon in our mouths, not me because I didn't play because I'm not a moron. 
They had people put a spoon in their mouths and then carry an egg or a ball. I think it was a ball, like a little ping pong ball or something, in the spoon and then go to the end back and forth. And then you had to pull it out of your mouth and then hand it to the next person and then put the same spoon in the other person's mouth and then walk a line back and forth, turn around, come back, and then do the same thing to the next person with like five people or six people in the same group. Whoever did it first won a prize. This is American K-12 professional development in a nutshell. That was an actual activity. That actually happened. Humans did that. Human beings did that. I mean, uh, you know... (laughs) I, I, I don't I don't have the words. I, I I I got nothing. My brain is short circuiting right now. My chest is starting to hurt and I have absolutely nothing to say. There was another game we played. I probably mentioned this a long time ago too, because again, this kind of this time of year brings back so much post traumatic stress disorder for me, it drives me up the wall. Um or shell shock if you wanna use uh, George Carlin's phrase. He's right. It's shell shock because I'm shocked that that, uh, people tolerate this buffoonery. So, yes, I said buffoonery. I love Looney Tunes. I grew up with a lot of Looney Tunes. I say broad. I say dame. I say all that stuff. (laughs) I'm sorry. You know, uh, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck are arguably the funniest characters out there. Anyway, sorry for that little rant. There was another professional development game that got played where we all had to sit around at a table. And honest to shit, this this took an hour. It was an hour of my life was wasted on this. We had to take uh, these giant toothpicks. They're not regular sized toothpicks like the small ones we all know and, and love. And they weren't popsicle sticks. They were longer than that. But they were kind of round. They weren't chopsticks either. They were different, uh, oddly shaped. Anyway, we had to take these sticks and we had to build a tower. And we had to do it using chewing gum. Seems kind of sanitary, certainly at the time. Everybody was commenting about it. And again, this was over 10 years ago. In fact, it was longer than that. It was probably 12 years ago. I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was that traumatic. And, uh,. We're sitting around this table, and then, honest to God, I was sitting at at a table with a vast majority of science teachers. Again, a lot of these people think they're the sharpest knives in the drawer and that they're all of the sudden bridge engineers. I'm here to tell you that's not the case. They're sitting around this table with this chewing gum. Or it could have been... uh, now that memory serves, it's coming back to me slowly in drips. My apologies. It could have been like those miniature uh, marshmallows. Could have been those. Either way, it was stupid. Point is, is that we had to go around the table. Again, team building exercise, quote unquote. And people had to decide how to make their tower the tallest without falling down. Seems childish because it's childish. And this is one of the things that American K-12 school administrators do, not all of them, but most, is they do this in an effort to remind everybody that they are in charge and you are dumb. That they are in charge and you are the child. That they are in charge and 
they get to tell you what to do, and well, damn it, you have to do it. It took 20 minutes for these people to decide how to build this. And as I'm sitting here talking to you right now, my legs were crossed, my arms were crossed, so my verbal non my nonverbal communication was, I don't give a damn about what you're all talking about and doing. Um, are we on a second story so I can throw myself out of a window right now? What's going on? And so I was sitting there looking the way that I was looking. One of the science teachers looked at me and she said, come on, Sean, participate. And I went, nope, you're, you're good. Go ahead. I'll, I'll just watch and I'll enjoy watching. And I sat there and I, and I just watched. And I remember looking over at a couple of friends and they were looking at me just laughing, just smiling and laughing because they knew exactly where I stood on all of this. And they did too. And it was very funny and sad. But there we were. And sure enough, they all participated and they all started playing and it turned into this big childish game. and People were giggling and laughing and I'm just getting angrier and angrier by the minute. Again, I've said this before, but if I die, it's going to be heart-related. <laughs> it will be heart-related. My heart will quit, my lungs will stop, and it will be because of things like this that I've experienced in my life that just grind on me, even to this day, just grinding, just sandpaper on the brain. This took, again, this entire activity took well over an hour. I'll never get that back. Here's why I bring all of this up. The activities that take place regarding professional development today for K-12 educators and university professors, in particular in teacher education, are equally as childish and a hundred times more retarded than what I just described. Because now it has to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion, perversion, how are we going to get drag queens into our school building, um... Everybody keep your mouth shut about what goes on in this building because I don't want HR to, uh, to you know, give us a call. Don't call the police if something bad happens because we don't want that to be the case. They, they do whatever they have to do to cover up for what they're doing all of the time. It is their, it's their MO. This is just what they do. And so I want to provide you just a couple of examples here. This comes from the Gateway Pundit. My apologies for the website. They don't always have everything right. But this is titled, San Diego Unified School District will teach children that heterosexuality is oppressive and promote genderqueer, quote-unquote, non-binary, quote-unquote, identities. I don't even have to get into the article. Um... But don't worry, Chris Rufo has the story for all of us because we aren't smart enough to figure it out for ourselves. He has to break it down for everybody. You know, I'm not a fan of Chris Rufo. The people who listen to this show know that. I don't like him. It requires no analysis. If you can't understand this at face value, that these people are disgusting and that these school districts that are doing this are disgusting, then, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. You're participating in it probably and uh, serving your children up to it. And that's not good. So they're doing that in San Diego, and they're doing it lots of places. Lots of places. I'll give you a direct quote from a parent who lives close, uh, who lives in the town where I do. I don't know this individual, and I heard this through my dad, which was funny. Uh, he he basically said, "Everybody in the everybody and everything in the district is gay." 
Those were his exact words. He's like, I send my kids, you know, because we don't have another choice, so says the parent, even though they have lots of choices, homeschooling. But uh, he says the best thing that we can just do is is pretty much just keep an eye on them, and, and that's pretty much what we can do. And it seems like basically everything and everybody in the school district is gay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Again, not to be insulting because I don't have to, but that ideology and those perversions are being pushed on children on purpose. Why? Because again, the teachers aren't smart enough to teach their own subject, let alone investigate the fact that what they're actually teaching isn't real. See, that's a mind bender for them. They can't handle that. We can't take professional development days and actually educate people on the fact that what's in the textbooks are a lie. Can't do that. We can't use professional development days and the professional development week that exists to encourage, heaven forbid, we encourage educators to actually learn something that, uh, that they need to spend more time investigating the fact that their subject might be wrong. Science, history, you know, things of this nature. Gravity not being a real thing. That density and buoyancy is the only thing that is real. I mean, getting deeper into it. Can't do that. You know, we need to, we, we need to build towers with chopsticks, uh, and we need to play relay races with uh, ping pong balls on top of a spoon. You know, because everybody is apparently stupid who works within these buildings. It is purposefully designed, ladies and gentlemen, to weed out the non-compliers. It's purposefully designed to weed out the smarter individuals, the trendsetters, the uh, trailblazers, the independent thinkers. The system doesn't want these people in it, and they think it's going to survive as a business. Jokes on them, it won't, and it isn't, and it's crumbling to the ground. Let me give you another example. This comes from Pennsylvania. Again, Gateway Pundit. Titled, Insanity, Pennsylvania Department of Education provides students with preferred personal pronouns. Nee, Z, Z, uh, sorry, I got it wrong. Don't shoot the messenger. Nee, <laughs> ridiculous. Nee, V, Z, and Z. And, and I don't know. Yeah, who, who, gives, who gives a shit? And asserts that even three-year-olds can identify as transgender. Do we need Chris Rufo to break down the insanity of this? No, we don't. We get it. We get it. It's gibberish. It's just gibberish. That's all that it is. It's the normalization of gibberish. But we need to be tolerant, ladies and gentlemen, and we need to be equitable and diverse and uh, listen to the sound. Listen to the calm, soothing sounds of these transgender uh, pronoun names that children are using, and we all just need to use them and please comply, or else we will call you insubordinate and show you to the nearest exit. It's nuts. It's nuts. Now do you want to laugh? Do you want to laugh? Uh, Here's something. This was tossed to me 
by a family member in Missouri who is based beyond belief, ladies and gentlemen. This comes from fox2now.com. I've reported from Missouri here before. I'm going to keep doing it because they send me stories constantly from the dumpster fire that is the Missouri Department of Education. Give this story a listen because uh, it's titled, Educators Give Suggestions to Fix Missouri Teacher Shortage. That's right. The people who don't know what's going on are being asked to provide suggestions on how to fix the problem that they created. <laughs> it's Honest to God, it's a drawing of a picture of a hologram. Give this a listen in three, two, one say they are leaving the field due to low pay and lack of support. They voiced their concerns today to the State Board of Education Commission. Our Missouri Chief Capitol Bureau reporter Emily Manley was at that meeting and she joins us live to explain. Emily? Well, Jasmine, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education says last fall there were more than three thousand positions in Missouri classrooms that were either left vacant or filled by someone not qualified. For this upcoming school year, roughly 25% of the state school districts are implementing a four-day week due to a shortage of teachers. Today we're here to talk about the crisis in Missouri, and I'm not talking about COVID. I'm here to talk about the crisis of education. A crucial time in the state's education system. Not only has our pay struggled to keep pace with inflation, the duties asked of teachers have been added to and compounded. While Missouri struggles with a lack of teachers, a Blue Ribbon Commission is spending months studying retention and recruitment. Wednesday, members heard from educators. I retired this past year after teaching 34 years. And I can tell you the last four years have been extremely difficult. If we could allow educators to do one job that they are such professionals at and not do the six and seven other jobs they're doing right now. Nick and Cambria Crabtree are both teachers in Southern Missouri. They want lawmakers and education leaders to spend a day in the classroom to understand. And seeing what it's like is completely different than even just hearing our testimony up here. Last month, the governor approved to increase minimum teacher pay from $25,000 to $38,000 the state paying 70% of the increase, the rest on the school district. If you ask a contractor to do more, they're going to charge you more. Um, teachers have been asked to do more, and the, the, the other hand isn't, uh, hasn't come in balance. Those working in some of the state's smallest districts are asking for more support. It's not always about the salary. It is important, but you have to fund our small school districts and give us the support. Some of the other recommendations that were said during today's meeting include not setting a statewide salary minimum and also helping teachers pay for student loans. Currently, the commission does have a survey available online for educators. We're going to put a link to that on our website, fox2now.com. Reporting live tonight from Missouri State Capitol Bureau in Jefferson City, I'm Emily Manley, Fox 2 News. As you know, I could spend an entire episode on that clip alone, breaking down every single sentence. And believe me, I want to. I'm going to do my best just running off of memory on that clip to hit on a couple of points. Number one, uh, deep breath. 
The guy at the beginning who goes, This isn't about COVID, it's about education. Kitten, let me tell you something. It's about everything. It's about everything. They are now synonymous because your entire business and quote-unquote pseudo-philosophy made them synonymous with one another. You're in the business of child abuse now. You can't erase that. We remember. Hashtag never forget. Okay? We remember. We remember. And we're not going to forget that. The reason isn't because of money. It's not because they have, teachers have too much to do. Yes, that's part of it. That's always been the problem. And I'll fully admit, $28,000 for a starting teacher, they, they might as well be homeless. You cannot live on that. You can't. That's a very difficult wage to live on. I had a tough time living on 40 grand a month. Or I'm sorry, a month. That would be sweet. 40 grand a year. That was, I think, 41000 $275 a year was my salary when I quit. And I taught for nine years. I think I started off at like 38000 if I'm not mistaken. And the only reason I really got that pay raise was because I had a master's degree about halfway through. So, you know, think about, think about that. I mean, that, that, one's, <laughs> that one's tough. It is tough. Um... There are things that you can do, and of course, it all depends on how you spend your money, but, you know, whatever else. Um, it is, again, to set up a commission then that has to, st a blue ribbon commission, ladies and gentlemen, they're a blue ribbon, not a white ribbon, not a yellow ribbon, they're, they're the cream of the crop. They are the blue ribbon of octogenarians that have it all figured out who can sit at a table and figure out what ails these teachers. Um, you don't need a blue ribbon commission or any committee or commission to figure out what the problem is. This is the dead giveaway that these people don't know that there is actually decades worth of research that already proves why teacher retention is the problem. The issue now over the last two and a half years is that dam has been completely destroyed. The floodgates have opened. And now the research isn't being done on child abuse, COVID abuse, because there's no virus, so I'm just calling it COVID abuse, certificate of vaccination identification abuse, the mask wearing abuse, the shot bullying and pressure abuse. This is the research that needs to be done. This is it. Amazing Polly even alluded to this, not in the education field, but in the medical profession in one of her more recent episodes from this past week. She talked about that group of Canadian doctors that had all died. And now there's a lot of medical research coming out saying, hey, look, the profession is getting weak because of these mandates and what you're having people do. Not so in the education business. There is no research break, breaking this down or mentioning any of this. They're staying as far away from it as humanly possible because they have to. They start researching the real reasons why teachers are leaving. It's game over for them. And who do you think is going to publish that? Nobody. Journals aren't going to publish that. Academic journals where all these brainwashed goons publish their stuff and read these, read these kinds of things, it won't get published. 
you have to come across things like this on my Substack, self promotion, sorry, uh, and you know, and other in other places where you where you find this information and then connect these dots. Again, K twelve educators don't read peer reviewed research; it's actually frowned upon. They detest it because then that means they actually have to think once in a while. The problem is, which is why this giant thing is a huge matrix, is that what gets published in these journals is false now. It's perverse. You actually have to search for the answer, just like you have to search for the truth in anything that we look for. But teachers screaming about money, and then, like I said, a table of octogenarians saying, well, we're going to figure it out, and we'll get to the bottom of it. It'll take us months, but damn it, we'll figure it out, because we care about American educators and government's kids, which is how they treat children, of course. They're not students, they're government's kids. This is a failing, it's, the ship is sinking. The hot air balloon has no hot air in it. The basket is dropping to the ground. They are in free fall. There's no saving it. There's no gas in the propane tank anymore. It's over. It's over. They're going to have to create their own money printing machine at the State Department of Education all across the nation in order to pay teachers to satisfy them, and that still won't do it. Because the most ethical are leaving, regardless of how much they're getting paid. The most morally sound are leaving, regardless of how much they're getting paid. One of the women who was talking up at the lectern there, who was going, this was the one who said, we need to just take things off their plate, and instead of having them do five things, they just need to be experts in the one thing they're doing. That woman was wearing a lapel pin that was Mickey Mouse's face with rainbow colors on top of the, on top of the, um, you know, that silhouette of Mickey Mouse, the big circle with the two ears on top. That lapel pin alone should tell you where she stands on things and her entire mind frame. I could do a case study on her lapel pin alone. And people like her who wear those lapel pins like that. You can't take someone like that seriously. She doesn't even know there's a war taking place. She's probably double or triple jabbed. Advocated for the masks. She's insane. These are the people, again, pleading with a blue ribbon committee of octogenarians and septuagenarians who have no idea what's going on. Not to mention, those teachers were probably set up, and they have no idea. Because now you have a few quote-unquote concerned educators who were ensnared in this trap, which is what a lot of these committees are, they're traps. Please come in and tell us as an educator what we need to change and what your concerns are. If they're asking what the concerns are and they're in charge, then they are the problem. By default, that's what that means. If a contractor or a construction foreman on a job building a house 
looks at the builders and goes, all right, guys, I don't, uh, and yes, guys build homes more than women. Sorry, that's a fact. Uh, You know, looks at them and says, all right, you know, things aren't going well. What am I doing wrong? uh, What? (laughs) That doesn't, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. That's not a thing. In no functional work environment do the people in charge ask the people who are doing the job what the people in charge are doing wrong. Because it means, really, that the people in charge should throw themselves off of a building. Or that they should just quit because their job and position is quite literally useless. This is the issue. This is the problem. I don't understand. Why don't you come and tell me uh, what it is that we're doing wrong? What is it that the State Department of Education and our entire quote-unquote leadership is doing wrong? These teachers are getting set up because now, again, that district has those teachers' names, those teachers' faces. And, uh, And now retaliation and retribution will probably come their way because it's the mob. It's the mafia. It's a criminal organization. That's how it works. That's how it works. Honest to God. Ugh, deep breath. They have they just they don't know. They don't know. The examples of it being the matrix can't get clearer than what I just described there. That is the matrix. They aren't touching the problem. They aren't touching the issue. They're not even coming anywhere close to it. Nowhere close. Like I said, there are no educator studies that are taking place right now regarding the jabs and the mask wearing and the abuses that have taken place. You're not going to find them, which means those numbskulls sitting at that blue ribbon committee table aren't going to find out what they are, what the real problems are. They're perplexed. I'll take it a step further. And you know what I'm talking about out there. I know you know what I'm talking about when I say this. We have to consider that the jabs and the intentionals of the jab juice are having a cognitive decline effect on the people who took them. They are not thinking clearly any longer. Common sense has been sucked out of their ears now. That audio clip encapsulates it in a nutshell, that they're not thinking. Is this a intentional side effect of the jabs? Yes, it is. Which, by the way, I've got more videos on my BitChute channel, American Education FM. I highly recommend checking it out. One of them, it's not my video. Someone else made it, but it's awesome. I just reposted it on my BitChute channel. Um, It's an hour and a half long of footage of jab-injured people talking about their jab injuries and other people talking about the shots and the injuries and a thousand other things. It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. It's almost too uncomfortable to watch, but it's the truth. And so I I recommend at least sharing it if you can and bouncing over there and, and taking a look. It is gnarly. It's just gnarly. And I wanted to mention this too, 
because I've done this in the past before and it's a, it's that time, so I'd, I'd like to do it again. You'll recall that I like to read from the American Educational Research Association's recently published papers in their journal of stupidity and uh, and basically highlight and shine a light on what's being actually discussed as being viable in the uh, business of education, so to speak. They also, of course, have their annual conference next year in April in Chicago, of all places. I'm sure it, uh, it will be fair, just, and equitable. But here's the title of their upcoming conference for next year in April of 2023. It's titled Interrogating Consequential Education Research in Pursuit of Truth. What? I remember when I spoke at AERA back in 2019, it had something to do with educational research in the post-truth era. Because as far as they were concerned, if Donald Trump was in office, then everything that took place was a lie. Therefore, it was not the truth. And how are we going to navigate this post-truth era? It was ridiculous. I've mentioned endless stories, of course, from that conference. Uh, not worth revisiting, but wow, was it embarrassing and sad. Anywho, let me get into the educational research titles here, if I can. Something to keep in mind, too, is that there's always this sort of undertone, we'll call it, or undertow, I suppose, always sucking you in, of racism. And, uh, of course, it's a made-up word, racism, but the point is is that there's this race tone that comes about uh, as a result of, of all of these articles. They will either hit you over the head with it with a rubber mallet, racism, racism, it's all about race, or there's, it's just sort of implied. So I'm going to read you nine titles from their most uh, recent online publication here from the American Educational Research Journal. The first one, published July 31st of this year. Title. Again, also keep in mind, does any of this have to do with jabs, shots, or child abuse? It's titled, The Imposition of Instrumental Research Use, How School and District Practitioners Enact Their State's Evidence Requirement. Boring. Boring. The next one. Quote, the efficacy of digital media resources in improving children's ability to use informational text, an evaluation of Molly of Denali from PBS Kids. Molly of Denali on PBS. I'm unfamiliar with it. It sounds dumb. Moving on. The next one, examining human and automated ratings of elementary students' writing quality. A multivariate general, generalizability. Is that a word? Generalizability. Theory application. Generalizability? We use multivariate generalizability theory to examine the reliability of hand scoring and automated essay scoring 
and to identify how these scoring methods could be used in conjunction to optimize writing assessment. Boring. Still not on child abuse yet. We're three deep, and we haven't touched child abuse yet. Hmm. Let's continue. The next one, understanding the relationship of science and mathematics, place-based workforce development on adolescence motivation and rural aspirations. Boring. Next one. Here we go. Buckle up. Black queer students counter stories of invisibility in undergraduate STEM as a white, cis-heteropatriarchal space. I didn't have a stroke there. That was the actual title of the published peer-reviewed article. Now, see, I've got to read the abstract. You see what this does? <laughs> you see? Can you see? Can you hear what this does to me? It sucks me in. It's like a train wreck. You know, you want to slow down, look for bodies. I mean, I know that's tasteless, but you get what I'm saying. It's uh, now I have to read the abstract. Oh my. Here we go. Quote Black queer undergraduates experience invisibility at the juncture of anti black racism and cis heteropatriarchy in their campus environments. With the absence of research on queer students of color in undergraduate STEM, it has been unexplored how black queer invisibility is reinforced and disrupted in uniquely racialized and cis-heteronormative STEM spaces. I'm going to continue. I can just, I can hear myself getting dumber. Drawing on black queer studies in a proposed framework of STEM education as a white cis-heteropatriarchal space, Deep breath. Our study addresses this research gap by exploring four black queer students' experiences of oppression and agency in navigating invisibility as STEM majors. A counter-storytelling analysis reveals how curricular erasure and within-group peer tensions shaped variation in undergraduate black queer students STEM Experiences of Invisibility. Findings inform implications for education research, practice, and policy, unquote. Oh my God. Oh my God. And they think the business is going to survive. You can't fix that kind of thinking or lack of thinking. You can't fix it. You can't fix it. That person is gone. And here's the worst part, ladies and gentlemen. There are, I kid you not, one, two, three, four, five, six authors to that. That took six people to write, research, and publish, and all of it means nothing. It's a drawing of a picture of a hologram. Honestly. 
Honestly. I hope I haven't read that one in the past. In fact, I'm certain I haven't. That was from back in May of May 26th. Uh, good Lord. Yeah, I don't even know if I have the energy to read more, but let's go, just because it's fun. Um, next one is titled, Our Community is So Small, quote-unquote, Considering Interracial Peer Networks in Black Student Adjustment and Belonging at PWIs. What are PWIs, ladies and gentlemen? You guessed it, predominantly white institutions. Oh my God. Don't make me read the abstract. Don't do it. All right, I'll do it. Abstract, quote, oh, I'm so sorry, everyone. I wanted to apologize in advance. I'm so sorry. It says, quote, although black students may share race-related experiences at predominantly white institutions, PWIs, they are a heterogeneous community with diverse identity beliefs, goals, and expectations about college. In the current study, we foreground how black students at PWIs understand the racialized identities in relation to one another and within the broader university context. Drawing from interview data with 32 black undergraduate students, we explore interracial academic and social norms at two PWIs, with a particular focus on how students' intersectional identities inform their relationships and experiences with other black students. We add to the growing literature that actively challenges the homogenization of black student populations and discuss how interracial norms contribute to students' campuses to students' campus adjustment and sense of belonging. Ladies and gentlemen, there are black-only colleges. Why don't they just go there? If they're so concerned with being at a white institution that's predominantly white, why don't they just go to one of their only black colleges? Because there are no only white colleges. You can't have those. But there are lots of only black schools. Weird. Weird. Honest to God, it's going to be heart-related. I've, I've said, you know, my death will be heart-related. I'll just fall over, um, and it's not going to be jab-related. It'll just be because I'm reading crap like this. Oh, my, oh, my. The next one. There, uh, there's only a couple more. I promise I'm not going to read any more abstracts, although this one is sucking me in, too. It says, quote, I just didn't want to risk it, quote unquote, how perceptions of risk motivate charter school choice among Latinx parents. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Won't read it. I won't. I'm going to dial 911 and send myself to the hospital. Um, the next one, separate remains unequal. Contemporary segregation and racial disparities in school district revenue. See? It's all about race. Money and race. Race and money. Last one, I promise. For some of all, for some and for all, subgroup entitlement policies and daily opportunity provision in segregated schools. I'm, I'm done. That's it. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Oh, my. It's just, it just hurts. It hurts every piece of my body. It hurts. 
Um, I'm going to end with this one. Well, two things I'm going to end with. First of all, I want to read this post that was sent to me based on a post that I made on Gab. I took a meme that existed of Robert Malone complimenting himself to some degree. Um, and you know that I've been critical of him because he cares more about his medical license than he does wanting to admit his full involvement in creating the technology regarding mRNA. Stu Peters held, held his feet to the fire a little bit regarding it, and thank God for it. Um, but either way, I don't like how he's basically trying to cover his own backside uh, regarding his involvement in all of this. So I had to educate a couple of people on Gab about his involvement, and I sent them that Stu Peters interview. I believe it was the second time that they had been uh, that they had been that Robert Malone, sorry, I'm starting to have a stroke, that Robert Malone had 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 been on Stu Peters' show, is what I'm trying to say. And so someone got back to me and they thanked me for posting it. And I wanted to uh, I wanted to read their response to me because it's awfully unfortunate. And um, it's an honest post, and it was very well done and heartbreaking all at the same time, and I think encompasses the state of affairs regarding the jabs. So basically, they thanked me for replying back, and they initially said the following. They said, quote, Dr. Malone was labeled as a disinformation kook because he tried to warn people about the mRNA and the harm and the fear that was caused. He said, don't vax, so the liberal lunatics attack him. I replied, and I said, not entirely true. He suggested the vax for the elderly, and he himself claims to have taken it and been injured by it. He has since changed his tune yet again. Which again, he's saying don't take it, which is fine. But the damage was already done because he was still on Fox News. I'll never forget it. It was approximately a year ago he was on Fox News, on Tucker Carlson's show, saying he recommends it for the elderly, that the elderly can take it, but it being pushed on kids is unnecessary. No one should take it, Bob, because it's a biological weapon. And again, there wasn't a stage he couldn't find himself on, which is whatever. Anyway, they replied back, and they said the following. They said, quote, Appreciate your input. I didn't know he had pushed the jab. It's hard to keep up with these flip-floppers. I'm so angry with all the lockdowns, masking, vaccines, it's experimental mRNA. We lost our mom during the lockdowns. At 91, she was vaxxed, stayed in her senior apartment, only visiting with neighbors through her closed window, ordering her needs online. Um, did her jazzercise and daily workouts via Zoom. Anything she, she bought, she wiped off before bringing it in. She caught COVID. After she recovered in the middle of the night as, sorry, in the middle of the night, she was moved to a nursing home. We spoke to her that night. She was chatting with the nurse, laughing, and waiting on her coffee. Then I found out she had been moved and where? Angry face emoji. I called nursing I called Sunrise Nursing Home. The aide took 30 minutes to find her when she did 
she informed me our mom was non-responsive. I demanded she be sent to the ER immediately. It took seven hours. No one allowed in or out. I asked if she had fallen. All I, all I got was, I don't know. When she got back to the hospital, we were told she was in a vegetated state. Again, I asked what happened. She was fine last night. Again, no answers. The next day, she was sent to a hospice, passed away one day later. We never got any answers other than she passed away due to COVID. Then she sat in a freezer for several weeks, then cremated. Cause of death on death certificate, COVID. What a fucking crock. Excuse my language. She died due to neglect, if not outright abuse. She was just one of millions sent to their deaths due to corrupted Democrats in Vegas and other Democrat-run cities and states, unquote. I replied back, and I said, I'm sorry for your loss. They replied back and said, so many of us lost loved ones due to their egregious actions. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what else I can possibly say. It's heartbreaking. I, yeah, it's the greatest crime. It's one of the greatest crimes that's ever, that's ever occurred. So, yeah, I, I, I don't have the words. I'm sorry, I just don't. I'm going to finish with this. Not good either. Um, the World Freedom Alliance. Ladies and gentlemen, the UN United Nations declares wars on dangerous conspiracy theories. The world is not secretly manipulated by global elite, quote unquote. It says the United Nations has declared war on conspiracy theories, describing the rise of conspiracy thinking as worrying and dangerous. You bet your ass it is. You bet it is. Because we think. And your doublespeak won't work on us. It says, and providing the public with a toolkit to pre-bunk and debunk, quote-unquote, anybody who dares to suggest that world governments are anything but completely honest, upstanding, and transparent. The UN also warns that George Soros and, Ro and the Rothschilds and the State of Israel must not be linked to any alleged conspiracies. UNESCO has teamed up with Twitter, the European Commission, and the World Jewish Congress to launch the campaign dubbed hashtag think before sharing stop the spread of conspiracy theories i've said it before i'll say it again conspiracies are real it is a actual word in the dictionary it is also a classified crime and to theorize means you are critically thinking about something that has yet to be proven but once it's proven it's just deemed a conspiracy. So people theorize about conspiracies because they are thinking about them and investigating them because they are real. Because it's a law, and it's against the law. Again, the word definition manipulation doesn't work on us. Nice try, swing and a miss. Good luck, better next time. It doesn't work. Um, one last thing, geopolitically speaking, a little kind of local, 
Uh, in Indiana, U.S. Congresswoman Jackie Walorski, if I'm saying that right, has been killed in a, in a head-on crash where her and uh, some of her aides were killed in the car. She was going after child traffickers. Going after child traffickers as a representative in the state of Indiana is dangerous business, ladies and gentlemen. Dangerous business. Lots of Masons in Indiana. Da dangerous business. She called them out on the House floor. Not Masons, but uh, child traffickers and XYZ. She called out Congress on the state floor for not investigating such things because, again, they are the customers. We know why. I'll, I'll just pose this question. How often do you think head-on crashes occur where one person is behind the wheel, crosses the median, and just so happens to hit a SUV filled with a congresswoman and her aides? I'll let you figure that out on your own. But then again, we're conspiracy theorists, so, you know, look over your shoulder. The United Nations might knock on your door. If they do, well, they'll get a teeth full of you-know-what. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, have a great weekend. The system's collapsing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to say. The system's collapsing. Oh, yeah, one last thing. By the way, apparently I was told by an acquaintance that this is the third time now that a Narcan bus has shown up to deliver free cans of naloxone and give away free cans of naloxone to people. It just so happens to be parked sort of in the poorer part of town and uh, right outside the building and in the parking lot of a hookah bar slash hookah store. So wrap your head around that one. Again, Small university town with 29,000 people in it, give or take, where at least 4,000 of us are not jabbed with the COVID bioweapon jabs. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, ladies and gentlemen, when it's all said and done, I'm going to be running this town. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be forced to hold every major position in this town because everybody else is going to have AIDS or, or be a full-blown drug addict shooting themselves up with naloxone. I, uh, it never, it never ends, does it? It just never ends. Have a great weekend. I'll catch you on Monday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.